The following is an Auburn Network production. You are on the line. Live on ESPN 1067. Auburn Opelika's sports leader. Online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. To be on the line, call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are on the line with Jacob Goins and Carter Bird. You're on the line here on ESPN 106.7, Auburn Opelika Sports Leader. Hope you're all doing well on this Tuesday afternoon. It looked beautiful outside, but when I walked out the door this morning, it was a little chilly out there as the temperature has dropped. But you know what? I love it. I love when the weather starts dropping and the leaves start changing. It's not often that we get actual fall weather here in the state of Alabama, but here we are. We've got a little chilliness. There's a there's a almost like a some crisp in the air as the temperature has dropped. I absolutely love it. Uh, most people don't. I know my family down here hates it, but. I love when the temperature starts dropping. So hopefully you're all staying warm. If that's if you don't like the cold, hope you're staying warm on this Tuesday afternoon. We have so much to get into today here on the Tuesday edition of On the Line, the show that tells you like it is and holds nothing back. Jacob, go with Carter Bird with you for the next two hours here on ESPN 106.7. Happy Tuesday, brother. How are you? I'm doing all right, man. It's uh was a little shocking to wake up this morning and see temperatures down in the 50s. I wasn't quite prepared for that. I need to uh, go figure out where all of my winter clothes are if it's going to start doing this to me. But uh, it's good to be here. It's good to be in the studio. Uh, I'm, I'm ready for another great show, man. Well, yeah. Well, look, today's a big, busy day in the world of sports. You've got uh, a postseason baseball game today. The Guardians and Yankees play because they were supposed to play last night, but it got rained out in New York. So game five of the uh, American League Divisional Series is today at 3 o'clock. Yankees-Guardians winner will go on and play the Astros. You've got that today. You've got uh, the start of the NBA season is tonight. Uh, you've got two games in in the NBA, uh, my Boston Celtics play the Philadelphia 76ers. The Lakers play the Warriors. That's going on tonight in the NBA. Hockey is underway. Uh, there's just a lot going on in the world sports right now. Yeah, I'm I'm interested that the uh, Lakers were picked to play the Warriors just because Lakers were so bad last year. I don't know. I just right. I, I know it's the biggest brand in the NBA, but I don't know. And it's and it's LeBron, but. I do find that one interesting, and I, I, I worry that that one can get a little squirrely right off the bat. Last time I looked, it was Warriors minus 6.5. I love that. It's up to 7 now. Oh, I still love it. I think <laughs> Golden State blows them out on, on opening night. I don't care. I don't remember if it's in Golden State or in L.A. I don't remember, but either way, I love the Warriors tonight in opening night. Also, Phillies and Padres game one tonight of the NLCS. I forgot about that, so they play tonight as well. Of course, the Phillies beat the Braves uh, in the divisional series. They're playing the, the Padres, who beat the Dodgers in the divisional series, so I don't think many people would have predicted Padres and Phillies in the NLDS, but here we are. I think it'll be an exciting series to watch, so that gets going tonight as well. Yeah, I'm. I cannot wait to to watch these these games continue to play as we get deeper into the postseason. I feel like the stakes always get higher. The storylines start playing out more. You know, this Phillies team that 
had to kind of scrap their way into the postseason. Well, same with the Padres. Both of them have made it to the NLCS. Both of them have taken down uh, divisional rivals, the, the, the teams that beat them in their own divisions. Uh, the Padres, it's even more fascinating that they were able to win that series in four games considering they won four total games out of the 19 in the regular season. Phillies got thoroughly dominated by the Braves down the stretch, and then they they were on top of it. They're hot. Honestly, the best thing that happened for the Phillies was playing that wild card series because it allowed them to get hot then to come into Atlanta and upset the Braves. And so far we've seen... It's the wildcard teams that have the advantage for the most part because they got started earlier, got that experience a little bit, got a little momentum, and here they are moving on farther into the postseason. But we're going to talk some college football today. Later on in the show, we'll talk to Trey Wallace, who covers the uh, SEC for OutKick. We've been having him on on Tuesdays uh, over the past few weeks, and we've really enjoyed our conversation with him. So that'll be at 3.30, talking all things SEC from over the weekend and looking around the conference. But that's exactly what we're going to do right now is taking a look around college football around the SCC kind of where things stand as of right now as we get into week eight of the college football season we'd love for you to call in be a part of the show and be on the line 334-321-1390 that is the number to put you through to us again. 334-321-1390. If the playoff were today, who would you put in it and who deserves to be in the playoff right now? Who are the best teams in college football as of right now? Who are the best teams in the SEC? We're going to talk about that as well. But what really got me thinking about this and wanting to talk about this is the crazy scenario that fans and college football fans are talking about and throwing around is the possibility of four teams being in the college football playoff from the SEC. Have you seen that scenario where it's Alabama, Georgia, Tennessee, and Ole Miss? It's ridiculous. It's, it's one. But okay, it's, it's not possible. It'll never happen. But it's interesting. <laughs> no. What would have to happen? You'd have to have Ohio State lose twice, Michigan lose twice, Penn State lose again, everybody in the Pac-12 have two losses, everybody in the Big 12 have two losses, and Clemson lose multiple games right i mean no i i believe me i know but but, and also that's not even counting the fact that Ole miss is going to lose at lsu this weekend 100 percent, they are 100 percent, they are look here's the the scenario is this is an eight and four team and i will say this all season long until i'm proven wrong yeah I, i don't think they're great i don't think they're that good And that's why I think the scenario is kind of crazy. But here's the scenario if you're not familiar with what we are talking about. Obviously, Alabama already has one loss. They lost to Tennessee over the weekend. They went out. They beat Georgia in the SEC championship game. Georgia wins out, and their only loss is to Alabama in the SEC championship game. Tennessee wins out. They lose to Georgia. That would be their one loss on the Mm -hmm. season. And then Ole Miss were to go all the way and only have one loss to, I think, Alabama was the scenario is what they're talking about. If all of those teams are one loss from the SEC and their losses are to each other, SEC fans are trying to they're trying to throw a situation and scenario together where all four of them would make the college football playoff. No, it would not happen. It is not possible. But 
it is interesting to look at where the SEC is and how dominant it can be at the end of the season. And I think that is why you are seeing a college football playoff be expanded because in a year like this where the SEC is more dominant than it's been in a while outside of the top two is – you could have the possibility of, of multiple, multiple SEC teams getting into postseason play into a college football playoff. Now, Ole Miss is not going to only have one loss at the end of the season. They're going to have two, three, possibly four. And then they I think, will have four. I think I'm Alabama. Yeah, I, I mean, it's very possible. It is very, very possible. But the other three are definitely up for grabs. I think Alabama could win out and win the SEC championship game. I think Georgia could go all the way and lose in the SEC championship game. And I think Tennessee could only have one loss to beat a Georgia. I think Tennessee could go undefeated. I think Georgia could go undefeated. I think Alabama could win out. Those things are possible. And so looking at the SEC right now, it's a lot of there's a lot of question marks. I think that I mean, if you want to talk about a scenario where three SEC teams get in, we can have that talk because the the Pac-12 is certainly interesting because now everybody's got a loss except for UCLA and they still have to play they still have to play USC and then a Pac-12 championship game. They may have, do they have to play Oregon this week? They play Oregon play, this week. Yeah. That's where game day is. Yeah, yeah. I think that you can see everybody in the Pac-12, the Pac-12 kind of cannibalizing itself, which is what's happened many many years now in a row. Well, they've never been this good. Right. They they like they haven't been this good since USC was at the peak of its power. Uh but now you can also look at the ACC and maybe a one-loss Clemson wouldn't get in over a third a third SEC team. The Big 12 very easily could cannibalize itself as well. Although TCU looks really good really good and they're gonna have to drop a head scratcher and then the big 12 championship to me mm-hmm. in order to, to to not make it I they they do have to play Texas which which it could be a very losable game for them but they've they've handled their business to this point and that offense is a lot of fun I think that there there are legitimate scenarios where three SEC teams could get in the whole country will lose its mind <laughs> i was just about to say there, that there is a legitimate scenario where it can happen oh i was and i was i'm i'm glad you say that and because uh the entire country would everybody outside of the sec would be so mad if three teams got in out of four because Nobody wants. Nobody outside the SEC wants to see that because they don't want to accept that the Southeastern Conference is that dominant. But again, this is where I go back to. This is why an expanded college football playoff is necessary, right? It, it started out as four because they didn't quite know how it was going to go, and I think that was a good starting number. But this is why an expanded playoff is necessary because think about if the college football playoff started today. I know that's not realistic, but if you just look at the standings right now, you've got Georgia undefeated, Ohio State undefeated, Tennessee undefeated, Michigan, Clemson, Ole Miss UCLA, TCU. TCU, those are all undefeated teams right now. Syracuse, if you want to get really crazy in the ACC. Now, again, I know there's still half a season to be played, so kind of take this with a grain of salt. But say that these teams continue to win, and even if they only pick up one loss to their rival, looking at Ohio State, Michigan, looking at Georgia, Tennessee, right? Looking at Clemson, who played Syracuse this week, looking at UCLA and Oregon, who have to play this week, right? 
if all of these teams are undefeated or have just one loss, mm-hmm. then you've got to start picking and choosing who gets in and who doesn't. And there's going to be teams that get left out of this four-team playoff that deserve a shot because they're good enough to win a national championship. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think that that you can make a legitimate argument that there are scenarios where there are two teams out of the Big Ten and three or four teams from the SEC that you can you could all make an argument are top four teams in the country. That like there are ways that that could easily play out and those are the two strongest conferences. I mean, there's there's right now you can't say it about the Big Ten West. The Big Ten West is a mess. It's horrible. But, but had had you had a very competitive game between Michigan and Penn State. What if those three had all beaten each other, mm-hmm. and you were in that scenario, and you there was no clear determining factor that this team's better than that team because it was everybody had had one loss to each other? That would be a really interesting si- situation to look at out of the Big Ten. I mean, there there are scenarios where things can play out where you have multiple teams that are worthy of being in the conversation for the top four. But now when you go to 12, you can get all those teams in and actually settle it on the field. No doubt. And and how thankful it, are we, I know I am, how grateful we are that we're not in the BCS era anymore. I mean, think about a year like this right now where there are going to be six, seven, eight, nine good quality national championship contending teams. And in the BCS era, it would be one and two and everybody else is left out. I mean, could you imagine how this year, how, because, and look, some of these teams are going to lose and some of these teams are going to fall off near the end of the season. It happens every year, but it seems like this year, the top 10, even the top 15 seem really, really legit and seem really good to this point. And of course, a lot of them are on a crash course to play each other, but just think about if we were still in the BCS era, how messed up it would be in this type of college football season where there are so many good teams to this point in the season. I'm glad we're not there. I like the playoff, and I'm excited to see where it's going to go when it gets expanded to let more teams in and have more competition. By the way, there's a, there is plenty of opportunity this week for this playoff picture to further kind of get whittled down. You've got you've got Clemson and Syracuse this weekend. Mm-hmm. You've got Alabama and Mississippi State. You've got Ole Miss at LSU, TCU versus Kansas State, UCLA and Oregon. One of those two teams if Oregon loses, they're done, obviously. If if UCLA loses, I still think it's probably really hard for them to get into to a playoff. Oklahoma State, Texas, like there's so many games that are losable. When you look up and down the top 25 this week, I mean, Penn State plays Minnesota. Minnesota's not they I mean, they aren't a guaranteed win in that game. I mean, did you say TCU Kansas State? Yes. Okay. Yeah, and that just adds on to it. I mean, you're exactly right. When you look at the slate of games coming up this weekend, it's really 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 good football. And it's very impactful. That's the big thing is it's so, there are so many games that have such big playoff implications in week eight of college football season. I wanted, um, just off history, to mention Ohio State, Iowa, and Michigan, Michigan State, but Iowa and Michigan State are so bad. And which is so it's bad. not which is not good for college football. It's not good for the Big Ten because it's and we show, we learned this after last weekend, it's Ohio State, Michigan, 
and everybody else in the Big Ten. And that's just mm-hmm. that's just how it is. And you can flip-flop Ohio State and Michigan, uh, who's the best team in the Big Ten. We're going to find that out in late November. By the way, did you realize that with Alabama's loss to Tennessee, they fell six? Do you know how long it had been since the last time they had ranked outside the top five? No, but I had that question, and I didn't know the answer to it. 40 consecutive weeks. That's ridiculous, man. 40 consecutive weeks in the top five. Think about... Just sit back and think about that for a second, and I want the listeners to do that as well. Think about how crazy that stat right there is. Alabama had been ranked in the top five of the AP poll you know who 40 was straight weeks. You know who was second? This, this should give you an idea, a picture of these are two dominant programs, but the gulf between what Alabama's been and this next one. It's either Ohio State or Clemson. It's Georgia. Really? 24. Wow. Wow. Well, well, Clemson Clemson started cold last last oh, true, year, and true, they were they true. were way down there. Ohio State, I do find that interesting. I that, find that Ohio that, State, that it's they not were in not that. up there either. Mm-hmm. But again, think about how crazy that is. Forty straight weeks being ranked in the top five. I know it's Alabama, and I know we don't want to sit here and say how great Alabama is, but that is unbelievable consistency, and you can't argue that. Mm-hmm. And that right there is super super crazy. But look, college football right now is really, really good. And there's a lot of teams that right now could compete and are competing for a national championship. We're going to talk more about this on the other side of the break. We're also going to have the question of the day. It revolves around the SEC. We'd love to hear from you. 334-321-1390. We are off and running here on the Tuesday edition of On the Line. You are on the line on ESPN 1067. Call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. Back here on the Tuesday edition of On the Line, Jacob Goetz, Carter Bird with you on ESPN 106.7, Auburn Opelika Sports Leader. Before we get into the question of the day, want to announce the Week 7 winner of the SEC Football Challenge presented by the Orthopedic Clinic, Buffalo Rock Pepsi, Johnny Brusco's Pizza, and Wickles Pickles. Congratulations to Perry Wood. You are the winner of Week 7 in the SEC Football Challenge. Uh, Perry went 5 of 7 this week, so it was a little bit of a tougher week out there in the SEC, picking some of those games, especially uh, some upsets with Tennessee over Alabama. But congratulations to Perry Wood. He has won a $25 Visa gift card from the Orthopedic Clinic and a 12-pack of Pepsi thanks to Buffalo Rock Pepsi. So, again, Perry Wood is the winner of Week 7 in the SEC Football Challenge, and uh, we appreciate uh, everybody entering and everybody uh getting your picks in every single week coming by picking up your prizes and we've still got some some weeks to go so make sure you get your picks in uh at espnau.com that's the sec football challenge make sure you get your picks in you can still enter every single week it's not too late and again uh the winner at the end of the year is going to win that 50 inch 4k ultra hd smart tv so be sure to get your picks in every single week the espn uh the espn 1067 sec football challenge but as As we get into the question of the day, we'd love to hear from you because this is an interesting conversation, kind of, again, just getting into our our general college football conversation. Uh, We'd love for you to be a part of it. 334-321-1390, that number again, 334-321-1390. Question of the day is this. Right now, going into week eight of the college football season on October 18th, who is the best team in the SEC right now, it's Tennessee. It's Tennessee, and they and they proved it. They proved it on Saturday. They have 
They have one of the more impressive resumes to this point in time. They went on the road and beat a ranked Pitt team. They beat a ranked Florida team. They drummed a ranked LSU team in Death Valley. And then they beat everybody's superhero, everybody's the the juggernaut, not everybody's superhero, the juggernaut <laughs> of college football, Alabama. And so it's what what more do you want them at the time that they've played these games? Four of their six wins are ranked wins. Four. What more do you want? I mean, that's that's as good as it gets. I mean, look, yeah, they play UT Martin this week, but they've scheduled and challenged themselves, and they've gone and they've proved it. And now they get that two-game stretch that's going to be really interesting with Kentucky and Georgia back-to-back, and then they get to just cruise out for the rest of the year when they get Missouri, South Carolina, Vandy to end the year. Which is where playing in the SEC East comes to a massive advantage for Tennessee. And if you look at the top teams in the SEC right now, if you look at the SEC East, it's Georgia, Tennessee, both undefeated uh, in obviously overall and in conference play. You've got Alabama, or excuse me, have Ole Miss right now at the top of the SEC West. They are 7-0, 3-0 in conference play. You have Alabama right behind them, 6-1, 3-1 in the conference after losing to, eight, or to losing to Tennessee. And then LSU right behind them, 5-2, 3-1 in the conference. Based off of record, based off of resume, based off of the eye test, if you will, if you want to get into to that, which I do think plays a big part in this, the best team in the SEC right now is Tennessee. They have played the best ball. They've beaten the best teams. They have the best resume, and they've looked damn good doing it. And they I have. think Tennessee is a real threat. And look, I've said it once, and I've said it multiple times, and I'll say it again. In my 22 years of life, I have never seen Tennessee really be good. Maybe a couple of times when I don't really remember when I was three and four years old. But when I've really been watching football, let's say the last 15 years, Tennessee has not been good, right? Tennessee has not been good. They have not been relevant. They haven't beaten anybody. And I said, until I see it with Tennessee, I will not believe it. And you know what? I saw it on Saturday. They and right awesome. now, Tennessee They're looks awesome. wildly entertaining to watch, and they are. it's so much fun to watch this Tennessee team play every game. Uh, granted, this week I won't be watching them play UT Martin because that's going to be a 65 to nothing blowout kind of game. While looking at these SEC standings, though, I just came across a just depressing, depressing Auburn fact. You want to hear it? Uh, No, I don't. But you can tell me anyway. (laughs) Through seven games, Auburn and Alabama have both played seven games. Um, Auburn has less than half the amount of points that Alabama has to this point in the year. Nice. They have 156 points to Alabama's 315. Gosh, that is that's not a uh, it's not a good uh, recipe for success. Auburn has the fewest points scored by any team that's played seven games in the conference. They I have, believe it. They have five more points than Missouri, who's only played six, and then they have 27 more points than Texas A&M, who's played six. Hmm. Yeah, that's not good. Texas a like, that's an astounding stat in its own right. Texas A&M's played six games and has scored 129 points. That's not good, my what? friend. What? Yeah, that's, uh, 
But it's not surprising with watching how those teams play and watching how they performed on the offensive end. I'm not surprised. It's not good, but I'm not surprised. Do they pass Auburn's point total of 156 this weekend at South Carolina? They'd have to get 28 points to pass Auburn. Yes. Okay. They'll do it. I think so. I think they put up 28 points against South Carolina. Surely. They have not scored higher than 24 points this year at any point. And that included, wait, no, no, actually, they scored 31 against Sam Houston. That's it. Jeez. Yes, they will. Texas A&M will score more than 28 points against South Carolina. (laughs) They'll do it, I believe. But look, right now, Tennessee is the best team in the conference. There's no arguing it. There's no debating it. I think they are the best team. I think it's, I think right now it's Tennessee, Alabama, and Georgia. Georgia has not done anything to impress me so far this season. And until they, until they beat Tennessee or if they beat Tennessee, they have not done anything to impress you this Besides season? Besides an opening week drumming of Oregon, what have they done? They, what, I'm saying that's impressive. They won by 46. It was fine, but they've, they Oregon's have... Oregon's a good... They're that's 10. the best they've looked. They've gone I, backwards agreed, since then. Agreed. Agreed. I'm with you. But they, so, were, they were fine through three weeks. They were totally fine. They've looked really weird the last month. They should already have a loss on their schedule. Missouri should have beaten them. God, that's... I mean, they Missouri had that game and I they hate blew it. That statement. I, I like. I agree, but that's just a disgusting statement. It to is. Say. But that's why Tennessee is the best <laughs> team in the conference right now. They've got to play some big games. If they beat Kentucky and Georgia, or at least compete, Tennessee is going to be the real deal. We'll see how it goes. Thirty minutes into hour number one here on this Tuesday afternoon. Jacob Goins and Carter Bird on ESPN 1067, Auburn Opelika's sports leader. 30 minutes into hour number one here on the Tuesday edition of On the Line, the show that tells you like it is and holds nothing back. Jacob Goins, Carter Bird with you on ESPN 1067, Auburn Opelika sports leader. Carter, you told me a stat before we went to break. We were talking about the best teams in the SEC and you decided to throw just a, a random wild stat in there about Auburn, but it's very relevant to Auburn and the SEC because you said that right now Auburn is bottom three in scoring and points total points in the sec and after this week if texas a&m scores four touchdowns against south carolina which i think they will they will be dead last in scoring in the sec yeah that's that's it's it's incredible because missouri plays vanderbilt they will score more than six points in that game i would be shocked if if they don't then you look at the fact that if if AM scores 28 points, Auburn has the fewest points through seven games of any team in the SEC. That's tough. There's, there's teams that have played six games that are putting Auburn to shame. Tennessee has 286 points through six games. And they play UT Martin. They're gonna hang 60 on them. And then so it'll be there'll be a daggum near 200 points ahead Mm -hmm. of Auburn through seven games what are your thoughts on this on that crazy stat and just Auburn's offense right now how do they get it going what do they need to do 334-321-1390 is the number to put you through to us we'd love to hear from you and your thoughts on on this topic and this conversation looking at what Auburn's done offensively they scored 42 in the opener against Mercer then they scored 24 against San Jose State then 12 against Penn State 
17 against Missouri, 17 against LSU, 10 against Georgia, and then 34 against Ole Miss, their highest, their second highest outing or scoring of the season. And I'm going to repeat what what I have believed about that Ole Miss outburst. I'll call it an outburst. I don't think it's going to be a consistent output. Could happen against Arkansas because Arkansas's defense is really, really bad. But basically from that point on, you're going to play defenses that have the chance to shut you down. That Ole Miss defense is bad. They had not really played anybody with an explosive dynamic offense to that point in the year. I mean, even Kentucky, I wouldn't say, is a team that you you were worried about coming in to your place and hanging 40 on you. Uh, and they and Kentucky gave that game away. They should have scored way more. Missed field goals, extra points, play at the end. Really, really, really bad uh, game by Kentucky in that one. This Ole Miss team is not good, and you put up 34 points, and I get that everybody's knee-jerk reaction was, well, look at the progress on the offense. I need to see it against Mississippi State, against A&M, against Alabama, something better than that Georgia performance, than that LSU performance, than that Missouri performance, and that Penn State performance. When you look at the schedule for Auburn, and of course, talking about this because Auburn is in the bye week this week, they have Arkansas next week, 11 a.m. kick in Jordan-Hare. When you look at Auburn offensively, coming off of this 34-point performance against Ole Miss, you did see some positive things coming out of the offense. This is the one game that the defense didn't play well this year, and of course, they give up 48 points, and Auburn's not going to score 48 points, so you end up losing the football game. But when you look ahead, Auburn plays an Arkansas defense that is below average I would say you're playing a Mississippi State defense that is sneaky good I don't think they're great but I do think they're good enough to keep them in football games and then when the offense does its thing Mississippi State's scary good then you play an A&M defense that hasn't shown you a whole lot this year and of course Western Kentucky then you play an Alabama defense that has shown it can be picked apart with the right offense now obviously Auburn and Tennessee's offenses are not the same whatever whatever but Auburn has an opportunity in these next few games and to end this season for the offense to get going a little bit. And then if the defense can play like we know they can, maybe Auburn can do something in these next few games. Well, I think the bye is huge to get your legs back underneath you because we saw there at the end, the last couple weeks, the rotation on the defensive line has been laughable. I mean, there's five guys that played on the true D-line positions on Saturday at Ole Miss, and they played all 89 snaps. That's unacceptable. In the Rodney Garner days, he was rotating 10, 11 guys in a a game on the And you saw how effective it was. Exactly. And granted, part of that's probably talent or whatever, but at a certain extent, putting out your best guys when they're absolutely gassed, is that going to be that much better than putting out somebody that's truly fresh that maybe you don't have 100% confidence in and I think that is part of the problem and part of a problem we've seen not just with coordinators but with Brian Harson is he has his guys and these coaches this coaching staff have their guys right now they have who they want to play who they trust to put on the field and that's who they're running with but yet we saw against Ole Miss where some guys got in the football game that we haven't seen a whole lot and holy crap, they can play, and they're good, and they have talent, and they know what they're doing. And so at what point 
do you start putting in guys that maybe aren't playing as much and haven't played as much because to this point in the season you're on a three-game losing streak and you better be praying to the gods at night that you've got a bye week coming up because if not this thing could have gotten even uglier but at what point do you go off of the beaten path and go off of your plan that says well these are the guys we wanted to play, and we've played them so far, but maybe we should give these other guys a chance to play. Maybe give our starters a break and give them a rest for a second. I mean, something has got to change offensively, defensively for Auburn, but we're, we're talking about this, this crazy offensive stat that Auburn, after this week, could be the worst scoring offense in the SEC. Let's get to the phone lines, though. 334-321-1390. Shane, you're on the line. Welcome in. Hey, guys. How are y'all? Doing Good good, man. What you got for us? Hey, so so with my work, I, I drive, um, you know, throughout the day I'm driving a little bit. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I listen to the, you know, various shows. Uh, the morning, there's uh, the one in Montgomery, the the Roundtable. Max Roundtable, uh-huh. They're, 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 they're nice people. But they're, uh, the, the main dude is, 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 is heavily a, a, a Bama fan, or has, has been, and... Um, it's just if it, it, it's a glorious day when <laughs> you hear them like like the world is ending, like so many reasons and excuses and like this and that because they lost a close game by three points on the road versus a number three team in the country. But if you listen to them, it's like it's like they're Auburn right now. It's like it's like they're doubting their their, their coach. They're doubting Saint Nick. No, I'm not even joking. There, there's, there's, they're, they're doubting whether Alabama's slipping, whether you know it's has just, Saban it's lost crazy. his touch. Like, they, there's, there's conversations yeah. like that right now in Tuscaloosa. But how, how, how can like, 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 sane people really believe that? Was they lost what two games in two years? Right, yeah. and, and Shane, here's the thing, and I'm not saying this in a, in a bad, negative way towards Alabama fans. They are spoiled, and they have been spoiled for years, and they don't... Yeah. And, and, Auburn and, fans would kill to lose a, a exactly. 52-49 game at Tennessee right now. Exactly, yeah, right. and that, and that's the thing. is, And again, I'm not saying that like it's a like a, a child or a brat I'm or anything. Not, I'm not even either. I'm and, not even either. But they really are. They truly have been just blessed, if you want to put it that way, with such a yeah. great coach in such great seasons and programs that I mean they don't know how to lose and you know what we would love to be in that situation did did either of y'all by chance see this I saw it on Twitter earlier today maybe it was like a Twitter account called like touchdown Alabama or something and it's the clip of the yes the review for the touchdown that Tennessee had and they were asking if the ref celebrated and they slowed down his his touchdown call and they were trying to say that he fist bumped Yep. And it was just like y'all, y'all got to chill. It's it's one game. It's all right. That's it's how bad it's game. gotten in Tuscaloosa. I know it's it's crazy, but it's also it's lovely. It's lovely to see <laughs> that the sky is falling because of this one one game. I mean, it was a great game. You, 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 this is I don't know. It's just it's amazing to see the different perspectives. Yep, yeah, it, the like, view yeah. the view on one side of the state versus the other is it is a complete right, 180 right. and and you're right it, they a lot of Alabama fans right now seem like Auburn fans and they seem like Nick Saban is just retired or right. got it's fired different. and it's like and like you said Shane you you put in a great point they lost a field goal game on the road to a top three team now 
And and I mean, you, you can't complain about that. And the fact that they are, and I'm not saying all of them, but a lot of Alabama fans yeah. are questioning, like you said, questioning Nick Saban and his coaching. Like, no. And, and the referees and like, like, oh, they missed this call. They didn't do that call. Uh, uh, it's, it's one game. If you didn't want to make it down, come down to one or two calls, then you should have, you know, then, then it could have been differently. What I see now is like is that teams are now kind of leveling out a little bit more, or 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 getting closer. Some teams are getting mm-hmm. closer to <laughs> to that that type top standard, mm-hmm. and maybe they are not not slipping, but just just not as dominant. And that's good for football. Who wants mm-hmm. to watch a game when you know what the score is going to be, or or who's going to win, and it's going to be big? It's just, it's been bad, for, in my opinion, for for the sport for a few years because. Who wants to watch that? I, I don't. I don't want to watch a, a blowout game. I firmly believe that the reason why the two most outspoken coaches against NIL publicly have been Nick Saban and Kirby Smart, that's because I think they are truly scared yeah. about the fact that the pockets in Texas, when you bring in Texas and you already have A&M over there, are significantly yeah. deeper than they are in Athens, Georgia, or Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Yeah, and the tides are going to turn. And, and anyway, that's guys, something. I thought that was hilarious. Yeah, oh, it is, Shane. Hey, man, it's good to hear from you. We appreciate the call. Uh, that's Shane joining us here on On the Line. That's interesting that you bring that up because when the spat between Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher happened over the summer, obviously you hadn't joined me yet, that's exactly what I said was – Nick Saban, and over the years, right, we've seen Nick Saban throw his hands and get upset about certain things because he's worried about them. But what does he always do? He just adjusts and he beats you at your own game. This This is is different. This is different because this is one that he cannot fully control. This is not about playing football. This is about money behind the game of football. And the reason he gets so upset is because in the long run, there's something in out of his control that he cannot Fair. have his hands fully on and he cannot pull the money out of his pockets and give it to him. He's worried about where this could go because of what it could do to him and what it could do to Alabama. Granted, they still have the most talented roster in college football right now, but when you when you look at it from the perspective of Alabama and Nick Saban can be as efficient and and you utilize NIL and leverage it as well as they possibly can. And at the end of the day, the state of Texas has more money, oil money. They can win. They can beat you with NIL. And that's that's something that I don't think we've we've ever been in a moment under while Nick Saban's been at Alabama where truly there is something that legitimately he can't adjust and automatically become the best at. There's there is a legitimate factor that can keep him. I mean, he could be third, but he doesn't have the money that Texas and Texas A&M have. By the way, I have a couple more really fun Auburn stats for you. Are you okay. ready for them? Yeah, let's go. Let's hear them. The only team, actually, Auburn has allowed the second most. Rushing touchdowns in the red zone of any team in the FBS. Only Akron has has allowed more. That's the first one. Second, Auburn is tied for the second most turnovers in the FBS this season. I did know that. I didn't know the rushing touchdown one, but I did know the turnover they, one. They have the worst turnover margin as well. 
at minus 11. I mean, that's what happens when you turn the ball over four or five times on offense and you don't get turnovers on defense, but maybe once a game, if that. I mean, you're, you're forcing That's what happens a- when, when no matter who you put at quarterback, they're going to throw a pick or two, and they're going to put the ball on the ground two to three times a game. Yeah. Eventually, some of those bouncing balls are not going to go your way, and you're going to end up. You're going to be there at the end of the game with four turnovers. Yeah, and that's exactly right. And that's what happens again. That's what happens when your offense is putting the ball on the ground or into the other team's hands, and your defense isn't doing that themselves. And that's where Auburn is getting themselves in trouble because how many times this season, through seven games, have we seen Auburn put themselves in a bad spot because a they they turn the ball over and the other team scored a touchdown on a short field. I mean, we've seen that multiple times. On a smaller scale than that, how many times have we seen an Auburn drive get blown up by the fact that it's a wild snap or the quarterback didn't handle the snap and it's behind him and he runs and jumps on it all of a sudden, rather than being first and 10, it's second and 18. Mm -hmm. Yep. That's happening every week, multiple times a game. And then that's when frustration builds. That's when you see somebody like Robbie Ashford, who is still a young quarterback, get into his own head, get frustrated, goes to the sidelines, throws his helmet, does whatever because he's mad because he knows he's hurting the team. And it's not just him, but we've seen him turn the ball over quite a few times. And then when things like that happen, like you just said, when those things happen, frustration builds, pressure builds, stress builds, and you are more, uh, you're just bound to, to, make mistakes in those situations and especially on the road like we've seen Auburn in the last two weeks those things intensify and amplify when you're on the road in the SEC and so for Auburn it's not good right now offensively with the turnovers it's not good defensively not forcing turnovers and and uh, honestly as bad as the defensive numbers are to this point if you want to look at the same thing I was looking at for the offense the defense has allowed the third most points in the SEC to this point. And the only teams that have allowed more are Vanderbilt, great company there, and Arkansas, which has the worst defense maybe in the conference. But then you're about to go on a stretch here where there's an Arkansas team that just put up 50 last week that can put up 40-plus on you. Mississippi State can put up 40-plus on you. And Alabama will put up 40-plus on you. These numbers are not going to get better. Yeah, and and again, that's where that's where the issues come in is we saw the defense early on in the year play really well and keep Auburn in football games. I I I continued to say that the defense was good enough to keep Auburn in games. I never said and if I did, I don't think I did, but the defense wasn't good enough to win Auburn football games Fair. this year. They were good enough to keep Auburn in games. They can't win a game by themselves. I agreed. The offense had to do something to help them out and, and that now, hasn't and happened. And now I think that defense is banged up to a point that I'm not sure how well they are going to keep you in games the rest of the year. Which goes back to, why not get other guys on the field? Why not play other guys and give them that chance? What do you have to lose? There, I mean, does it, doesn't it seem like there's some sort of disconnect when it comes to playing young guys with, under this coaching staff? Look how long it took for Camden Brown, Amari Kelly, to get on the field at receiver. After hearing such great things about and them Jay in the Fair, fall. too. Yep. Those three guys got all this buzz. But you saw Shed out there, you saw Javarius out there, and it wasn't getting it done. And now, finally, seven weeks in, you're seeing those three three guys as involved as we've seen. 
which is why I say, why not play these guys? Why not? You have nothing to lose. Brian Harson, you've already lost your job. I mean, you're going to get fired. You're on a three-game losing streak. You're already out of contention for anything. You're just trying to get to a bowl game. Why not play some other dudes and get some wins? we got to get to a break and wrap up our number one. 334-321-1390 is the number to put you through to us. We'll come back and wrap up our number one of the Tuesday edition of On the Line. are on the line on ESPN 106.7, online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 106.7 app. Wrapping up our number one here on the Tuesday edition of On the Line. We've only got a couple of minutes. We went a little long in the last segment, but that's okay. It was a good conversation. Uh, we appreciate Shane calling in, talking about uh, Alabama and the SEC, and then uh, we continued on with our Auburn football talk. But uh, wrapping up this first hour, uh, just kind of previewing kind of what's going on in the world of sports tonight. Like I said, uh, there's two baseball games tonight. One is the Guardians and the Yankees. They're game five of the ALDS. That starts in about 13 uh, minutes. Yeah, 13 minutes or so uh, game five it was supposed to be last night got rained out there in new york so they will play game five winner of that goes to play the astros in the american league championship series so that would be that would be a good one i am cheering for the guardians so hard because a i hate the yankees and b because i said the guardians were a good team coming into this postseason <laughs> now they will they will get wrecked by the astros but I would like to see them win. And then tonight, you've got the Phillies and the Padres, uh, a matchup in the NLDS that nobody predicted, nobody saw coming. And if anybody said that, if anybody predicted that, and they tell you that, they're lying because nobody predicted Phillies, Padres, and the DS. I thought both of these teams were by far the most dangerous in the, well, I guess the the Mets, but but I thought the the Padres were were dangerous in the wild card series. I thought the Phillies were more dangerous than the than the Cardinals. I think I said as much. I think you did too. And I I I said that the Braves would rather have played the Phillies than the Cardinals. I was wrong. Apparently the Braves didn't want anything to do with the Phillies and uh, the Philadelphia wrapped it up. And so they played the Padres in what will be a very unique and exciting uh NLCS I'm excited to watch this series I think it'll be I think you're going to see a lot of runs I think you're going to see a lot of energy from both ballparks uh we talked about it before Philadelphia brought they brought the heat crowd wise they brought it when the Braves were playing there in Philly and the crowd showed up and they were ready to go I think that's an exciting series and then the NBA gets going tonight 76ers playing in Boston and then the Lakers are at Golden State if you want to win some money take Golden State big tonight that's my one tip to you Hour number one, officially in the books. Come back, more college football talk in hour number two. The following is an Auburn Network production. On the line, live on ESPN 1067, Auburn Opelika's sports leader. Online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. To be on the line, call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are on the line with Jacob Goins and Carter Bird. 
you're on the line here on ESPN 106.7 Auburn Opelika Sports Leader. Hope you're all doing well on this Tuesday afternoon. Hour number one of On the Line officially in the books. You know what that means. Hour number two is now underway right here on ESPN 106.7. Jacob Goins, Carter Bird with you right here on the Auburn Opelika Sports Leader ESPN 106.7. If you missed any of the first hour, uh, it was a really, really good one. We had some very interesting conversations about college football in the SEC and who the best in the conference right now some interesting uh some playoff scenarios and some impactful games going on this weekend to impact the college football playoff so we talked a lot about that in the first hour so if you missed any of that be sure to go and find the podcast just go uh, and search on the line wherever you get your podcast or you can go to espnau.com click on the podcast center and you can find it all right there commercial free right after the show so if you missed any of uh, uh today's show or any previous show be sure to go Go and find the podcast again, ESPNAU.com in the podcast center. Well, here in hour number two, uh, we're going to talk some Auburn football. We're going to talk Brian Harson and uh, why he's still the coach at Auburn. We're going to talk about that in just a few minutes. In about 30 minutes or so, we're going to have Trey Wallace, who covers the SEC for OutKick. He'll be joining us here on the phone lines to discuss everything going on around the Southeastern Conference, the games from over the weekend, the situation here in Auburn, and looking ahead at some of the games coming up this weekend. So Trey Wallace, who covers the SEC for OutKick, He'll be joining us at 3.30. But we'd love for you to call in and be a part of the show until then. 334-321-1390 is the number to put you through to us again. 334-321-1390 is how you get to be on the line. And so the the conversation is that Brian Harson is still the head coach at Auburn, something that we did not expect coming into this week after the outcome of Auburn and Ole Miss where we – assumed that Auburn was probably going to lose they were double digit favorites or double digit underdogs excuse me against Ole Miss they lost by double digits they did not cover Ole Miss didn't so there's something to be said about that but Auburn loses to Ole Miss we thought there was some smoke where Brian Harson and maybe even some momentum if you will that Brian Harson would have been fired Sunday maybe even early Monday morning but that's not the case. Brian Harson is still the head coach at Auburn, and we would love to hear how you feel about the situation. Again, 334-321-1390. Carter, are you surprised that Brian Harson is still employed and still the head coach here? You know, had you asked me a month ago, I would say yes. But now, as the, the picture has become clearer, I can't say that it's surprising me anymore. Because the more you listen to people talk about it, the more you you look into it, the more it makes sense that Auburn is taking its time with the athletic director, making sure they get that right. And then the, the linear events that this is going to happen now is you hire an athletic director, which can happen on at this point with the... Momentum that has built over the last week can literally happen at any moment here. It can happen anywhere between now and the and the end of the month. I, I know that November 1st is the deadline day that everybody wants to have it done by. Well, that's going to happen. And then somewhere between there and the, let's say, Monday morning after the Iron Bowl is going to be when the firing of Brian Harson happens. 
because they want to get the new athletic director in the door. It's not the way I would do it. It's not the way that I think makes the most sense. But I think that Auburn wants to get the athletic director in the door and have that person be the one that pulls the plug on Brian Harson. Which goes against sort of what we thought was going to happen and what we thought would be the best thing to happen. Because where you would have thought you wanted to give your athletic director a totally clean slate. Not, but I mean, I guess, I guess you could say that he gets to be the hero in this story. <laughs> if that's, if that's to, how you want to put it, yeah. I, I mean, whoever the new athletic director is, which I think we are very close to hearing that that become official. And he gets whoever that person is, he or she gets to play the hero of that of that role and be the one that moves Auburn into an era where there's more hope. Because right now there's not a lot of hope. Yeah, and and again, it seemed like the plan was going to be fire Brian Harson, hire an week. AD. Yeah, fire him at the at the bye week. Hire an athletic director. Begin the coaching search. First of December, hire a new head coach. I do think that it's it's worth mentioning that I don't think Auburn wants to saddle either Zach Etheridge or Cadillac Williams, who are the two most talked about potential interim head coaches, with this mess and put head coaching wins and losses on their record and maybe... They're both young guys with the bright futures ahead of them in the coaching profession. Do you want, one, are, are those guys ready to take over an interim head coaching role? Two, two, do you want to potentially put cheap interim head coach losses on their resume? Something that I guess down the road could be held against them. I don't know. I don't think that, and I heard Stephen Godfrey at uh, Splits on Duo made a really good point about this, saying that Auburn may not view it as fair to their guys, and Auburn is is very much about protecting their guys. And Zach and Cadillac are Auburn's guys. They are they are true Auburn men, and you don't want to put them in a bad spot. Right, I agree, and I think there's also. Uh, an interesting way to look at it what if it comes down to maybe they're just not ready to take over as a head coach and you mentioned that and that's, maybe and that's totally that's understandable because neither of them have been above a position coach position so that'd be totally understandable and maybe it's set up to where they weren't supposed to be able to take over as a head coach right if if it were to hit the fan and and I think that is sort of it's, what we're seeing is maybe this thing has been it set is up interesting, isn't it? to where if if the head honcho gets taken out, well, nobody else is capable of running it. I'm not saying that's the case, but I think there is some there may be a little smoke to this because at this point, no, you don't want to fire Brian Harson if nobody is ready and willing to take over the entire football program because that is a big ask. And maybe Auburn is just protecting uh, Etheridge and Cadillac and whoever else that they don't want to put in this dumpster fire that is Auburn football right now. Maybe they don't want to say, look, we love what you've done with Auburn. We appreciate you uh, being an Auburn guy and, and putting in the work for Auburn. So, 
we just fired the head coach and here you go you get to take over here's here's the keys go on a drive and and good luck and I just don't know if they want to do that right now and and nothing against those guys I don't know if they're ready to do that right now they very well might be they might be I don't know that's what I'm saying we we, we aren't privy to that information on whether whether they are truly ready to take on the responsibility of interim head coach exactly this is just us kind of talking some different possibilities and and questioning why Brian Harson is still the head coach after we were pretty much believing it was going to have already happened. So that's sort of where we're going with this conversation. But let's get to the phone lines, 334-321-1390. Spectre, you're on the line. Welcome in. Hey, uh, going along with that line of thinking about replacing Harson with one of his staff, when you think that's, that the staff is also part of the problem? I could see that, and I think a lot of if if Harson were to go, coordinators and guys that he brought in that maybe didn't fit either would probably go along with him. But some of those guys that are Auburn guys that were here before and have stayed through, uh, then then I think a lot of them would stay. But I do think it would it would be fair to at least look at them and assess whether they are worthy of being here and doing their job correctly. Not saying that they're not, but. You would have to look at everybody, but I think a lot of the guys that, that Harson brought with him would probably not survive because they have led into the problem as well. Well, if you were going to get rid of Harson, you had the chance to get rid of him when Mason was here, when Mike Bobo was here. That would have been the two candidates that would be more likely to take Auburn. Yeah, he got, rid of, he got rid of those in a hurry. Yeah. He, got rid of his, he got rid of his three top recruiters in a hurry. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I don't know if he did that to satisfy the powers to be or whether it was just a bonehead decision on his part. I mean, but, I, I highly doubt that there was a directive from the powers that be to to get rid of Derek Mason, one of the most respected and best defensive coordinators in the country, and Mike Bobo, who really had a whole lot of ties to the South and the Southeast, through, through his coaching tenure because Brian Harson's staff didn't have a lot of that. And, I mean, honestly, to this point, I'm not sure how much communication, if we want to talk about the powers that be or the power brokers, to put it in a, probably a better term, I'm not sure how much communication there is with Brian Harson. period. I don't, think, I don't think Brian Harson talks to those people. Yeah, uh, you know, it's hard to say what's going to happen, but I would think at this point, it's almost surely he's going to finish out the season. Yeah. Because if he, you know, if they were going to get rid of him, they would have got rid of him already. Especially this this couple of weeks here. The but only I, other time I could see them getting rid of him would be after the A and M game, just to give them a little bit more time to bring somebody in and give that new coach a little bit more time. But. I think the favorite would probably be that, yeah, Brian Harson just finishes out this thing, and he's probably told before the Iron Bowl, hey, this is going to be your last game at you all. Are, you're going to see a lightning quick coaching search if he, co- know, if he coaches in the Iron Bowl. You know, he, did, he didn't make his case uh, uh, after, after spring. You know, let me, take, let me back up a minute. You know, during spring practice, during the summer, and going into the fall, we got we kept getting reports about how well the team was doing, and it, and it was all about the battle for the quarterback. No no hints of all about any problems whatsoever. No hints of, of, of the O line being bad, that bad, 
even with the uh, with the exit of the uh, center, I, what was it? Brahms. Brahms, yeah. Even with his exit, uh, still no problems mentioned. But now all of a sudden we got all kind of problems. Now, yeah. it, now see, that's what I'm trying to get across about the players themselves. During the spring, the summer, and the fall practices, there was no indication these guys couldn't execute. Am I right or wrong? I mean, there was but, definitely a Spectre. lot of possi- a lot of positivity coming in and out of camp, and there was a lot of praise for these players that were with Auburn. Yeah, there's no doubt. Everybody is a national champion in the spring because you only hear the positives. I mean, I remember in 2012 hearing about Scott Leffler's offense was so multiple and it was going to be so it's pro style and Auburn was going to put up such great numbers. And it's one of the worst offenses I've ever seen at Auburn. I mean, you can you can go talk about I bet you Colorado, who's the worst team in the Power Five, they probably had a lot of positive things to talk about. In the, the problem with the problem with what we hear from coaches, and not just Auburn, with every program, the problem what is what with what we hear from coaches in spring and summer and fall is they're going to give you coach speak, right? They're going to give you, they're going to tell you the good things. They're not going to come out and say our offensive line is hey, terrible. You know the, what I mean? Like that's the, the that's Houston, the problem. The Houston Texans were going to win the Super Bowl in their mini camp. I, I, they're they're <laughs> selling you on that. I mean, I, I mean that's just the way it is with every program. And, I mean, yeah. you're you're not going to hear a coach come out and be like, "We're horrible. We don't execute. We aren't we aren't good at this or that." You don't hear you hear like this group needs to improve, but mm-hmm. you don't hear a lot of we are one of the worst teams I've ever coached or anything like that. It's generally very 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 positive, and they focus on the positives in the spring and in fall camp. So what you're saying, head coaches are like used car salesmen. They're not going to tell you extent, the car. Yes. They're not going to tell you that the car that you're trying to buy is a lemon. That's right. Yeah. I mean, and and again, okay. that's that's the problem. Is it's and and look, we're part of the media. We have to just we have to believe what they tell us, and we have to believe what we see in the 20 minutes of practice that they give us throughout the fall and the spring. But they're again, yeah, you're kind of right. They're not going to come out and and again, they're not going to say, look, man. Our offensive line is struggling right now. They have they are really really in a rough spot. They're going to say, yeah, you know the the typical coach speak of they're getting better, hey, right? They're improving those types of things. Head coaches when they're on the re- recruiting trail, I'm sure they make all sorts of awesome promises and talk about how great it's going to be. And then Nick Saban, I bet you he does that. And then the second somebody comes on campus, it's a different world than when it was when they were being re- recruited. Hey, I'm going to change tracks on you. Okay. Every every time Alabama loses a game, it's the end of the world. Isn't it? <laughs> it is. Yeah. It is. We had a caller earlier in the show talk about that too. That's, that's unbelievable. Yeah. I tell you what, I hate to be the team that Nick Saban plays after a loss. Uh, Mississippi State is that is that poor soul that has to play Alabama in in defensive state. They do do a lot of things that should test the Alabama weaknesses, so maybe they can hang in there. But, yes, I do think you're going to see a very angry, very focused Alabama team this week. You think uh, if we were if we had uh, Alabama's record right now and we got our first loss to whoever, you think the Auburn fan base would be talking like this about their coach? Absolutely not. I mean, no. I, 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 I said <laughs> that when, when Shane called in earlier to, to talk about that, and I said, look, Auburn fans right now would kill – to be 
talking about a 52-49 loss at Tennessee. That'd be the best <laughs> thing that could possibly happen to Auburn almost yeah. when you compare to what we're in right now. Yeah. Well, I'm going to end this conversation with one word, guys. Execute. All right, well, we appreciate the call. That is Spectre joining us here on On the Line. 334-321-1390 is the number to put you through to us. We'd love to hear from you as we get to our first break here in hour number two. We'll get back to the question of the day. If you missed it in the first hour, who is the best team in the SEC right now? 334-321-1390. We'll talk about that on the other side of this break. You are on the line. On ESPN 1067, call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. Question of the day here on the Tuesday edition of On the Line. We'd love to get your thoughts on this. 334-321-1390. Right now, as we enter week eight of the college football season, who is the best team in the SEC? And, And here's an even better way to put it. Who are the top three, top four teams in the SEC as of right now? 334-321-1390. For me. Who are the top two? Top two. That that is what's interesting. Top two. Well, right now, Tennessee is the best team in college football. Well, sorry. Hold on. I said that wrong. Tennessee's the best team in the SEC. Please don't clip that and put that anywhere. I, 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 I misspoke. I mean, I mean, no. It's, they are it's one not, of the best not, teams in college football. It's not an outrageous statement. Correct. They're one of the best teams I'd in college them, football. I'd put them there with Ohio State, Michigan. I mean, honestly, I think you're, those are your three right now that you feel very confident about. Alabama's mm-hmm. probably next in my book. Then Georgia, just because Georgia's been a little inconsistent I want to see them. That I want to see Georgia put the hammer down on Florida, put the hammer down on them. Georgia needs a good, convincing win. They need a, a against a good team. Vanderbilt beating them by like they did doesn't do anything they're, for me. They're they're off this week. Next week they get Florida. They need to win that game by. If they win that game by twenty eight, I'm back. I'm back. They are top two team in the country. Mm-hmm. But but. If you they've got to show mess it. around and win that game by three, or maybe even <laughs> let Florida have a chance to win late, I'm not going to be sold on it. I agree. So for for me right now, Tennessee's the best team in the SEC. I think they've shown it, they've proven it. Uh, there's no denying it, in my opinion. Then I put it at Alabama at number two, and I put Georgia at number three. And partner, I agree with you that Georgia is still a very good team. They are a very, very, very good football team, very good football program. But to this point in the season, besides the Oregon game to start the year, they've gone backwards, and they really haven't done anything to impress me. And again, I know they they beat Vanderbilt last week, but that doesn't hold a lot of ground in my book. How would you order four, five, and six in this conference right now? That's where it gets a little interesting, too. You've got, I have Tennessee, Alabama, Georgia, okay? You're going to put Ole Miss there. I know you are. I think you, I mean, the problem is, the problem is, you could put, if you're going, obviously, if you're just ranking best off a of record, then yes. I don't think Ole Miss, if you want to do like a... I think Kentucky is better than Ole Miss, and they showed it in Oxford, but then they just shot themselves in the foot. That's and gave the that problem with Kentucky is right now, they're 5-2. and two. They should be 7-0. and oh. They should be 7-0. and oh. You can say the same thing about State, too. Exactly, and that's the thing. I think both of those teams are better than Ole Miss. I really, really do. If they are playing their best, if, and, and Will Levis, if everybody's healthy... 
I think Kentucky and Mississippi State are both better than Ole Miss as a football team right now. If everybody on all of those three teams are completely healthy, ready to go, neutral site, whatever you want to call it, I think Kentucky and Mississippi State are both better than Ole Miss. Are they playing like it right now? No, not necessarily. Mississippi State's high-powered offense only put up 17 points on Saturday. That's not good enough for that team to be successful in the SEC. So if you want to do it based off of who I think is the best, Tennessee, Alabama, Georgia, I'm going to go with Mississippi State, Kentucky, and then Ole Miss. Now, Obviously, based off of record and ranking, you'd have to put Ole Miss at four. And until they do something convincing, I'm not going to be sold on Ole Miss either. But guess what? They're about, we're about to find out exactly who Ole Miss is. They play at LSU, at Texas A&M, home for Alabama, at Arkansas, and Mississippi State. Am I irrational with the amount of confidence that I have that LSU is going to smack Ole Miss on Saturday? Maybe. I don't think LSU smacks them. I think LSU wins. I think LSU smacks them. And there's a lot of people on that train right I think now. It's, I think it, like they win convincingly. And I don't think LSU's a good team. LSU's getting better, though. I, I, you can, you can definitely say that LSU's getting better. And I think a lot of the question marks and the questioning of, is Brian Kelly the right fit at LSU? I think those are starting to dwindle a little bit. Now, you want to have this consistently for LSU. But look, man, they're playing good football. I mean, LSU's 5-2, and 3-1 and one in the conference. And year one under Brian Kelly, that's a pretty good start. And if you beat Florida State on opening night or opening weekend, then you're 6-1, and 3-1 and one in the conference. Nobody would complain about that. Look, I mean, LSU got smacked by Tennessee. They beat a bad Auburn team. They beat a state team that's good, that's very good, and and – that one shocks me. I still think State gave that game away. And then they they went and beat a Florida team, and it's a very impressive win down in the swamp. My only hesitation is I, I keep coming back to what Billy Napier said all offseason. He tried to tell you this Florida team's not that good. You, you want to talk about, we just had this conversation with Spectre about talking in the spring and fall camp about how there were no issues. The closest you'll get to a coach saying his team is bad is what Billy Napier did this offseason when he kept telling you, hey, this is going to take time. This needs some work. We have to build a foundation. And you can basically only do that in year one. Um, Yeah. And he basically did that. I mean, he told you that this Florida team's not that good. And granted, I think they're a little bit better than maybe he thought. I'm still not sold on them being that good of a team. They're 4 and 3 right now and they've still yet to play Florida. They've still yet to go on the road to A&M and they still have yet to go on the road to FSU. Those are three games that they're very capable of losing and then we're talking about a 6-win Florida team and that's not even that's assuming they get through at Vandy and South Carolina without a dumb loss, which Florida's really great at finding ways to have dumb losses. My my issue with looking at the SEC right now is teams like Kentucky, like Mississippi State, like A&M, like LSU, like Arkansas, we know that they have talent, and we know that they can be good, and at times they look really good, but then 
there's some times where they go out and they drop an egg and take a team like Mississippi State again who dropped or well, only, had, only had 17 points or take a team like Kentucky who I picked to finish second in the SEC East but yet through their first four conference games they're two and two like mm-hmm. there's and I know Will Levis has been in, in and out with injury but still even without him Kentucky was supposed to be good enough to at least win some football games they, and then he was supposed to make them contenders South Carolina and they showed up and laid a massive egg in that game exactly. I know if Levis plays they do beat South Carolina and we're looking at Kentucky vastly differently than we are right now and you could say I, the same thing about Georgia as they're undefeated but they have not looked good in the past well, month Georgia's we're going to find out a lot about Georgia here in the next month because you get Florida and the world's largest cocktail party down in Jacksonville. Whoop whoop. Then you get Tennessee at home. That's so exciting, man. On the road at Mississippi State, on the road at Kentucky. And then you got interim head coach led Georgia Tech there at the end, but I don't expect that one to be a game regardless of the interim head coach bump. Yeah. But, but that four game stretch is by far the hardest stretch on Georgia's schedule. When you have 18 to 23-year-olds, because now we, we everybody has a COVID year, uh, so you can't say 18 to 22, sometimes they don't show up some weekends. They're going to get tested these next four games starting next weekend. The SEC is really good, and we're about to find out who's for real and who's for not in the next few weeks. We've got 30 more minutes here on this Tuesday edition of On the Line. Trey Wallace, who covers the SEC for OutKick, joining us when we come back. Jacob Goins and Carter Bird on ESPN 1067, Auburn Opelika's sports leader. 30 more minutes here on the Tuesday edition of On the Line, the show that tells you like it is and holds nothing back. Jacob Goins, Carter Bird with you on ESPN 1067. Well, as we get Trey Wallace on the phone who covers the SEC for OutKick, just want to give you a note and a, an update, if you will, about all of the live events that we've got going on here on ESPN 1067, the Auburn Opelika sports leader. Uh, starting tonight, so our MLB postseason coverage does continue. It continues throughout the rest of the postseason. And we're going to have the entire National League Championship Series and most of the American League Championship Series. And we'll have all of the World Series games right here on ESPN 106.7. So we're very excited uh, to be able to do that and bring you those games. But starting tonight here on ESPN 106.7, we've got game one of the Phillies and Padres in the NLCS. That begins at 6.30. These are all the broadcast times, okay? So uh, the, the the games come on about 30 minutes, or the, I should say the broadcast come on about 30 minutes before the game starts. So just kind of keep that in mind. But starting tonight, Phillies and Padres in game one of the NLCS. That is at 6.30 right here on ESPN 106.7. Tomorrow, we'll have game one of the ALCS with the Houston Astros and the winner of this Yankees-Guardians game five. It's 3 nothing Yankees in the first inning. So uh Cleveland down early so the winner of this matchup will play the Astros game one of that will be on Wednesday that's tomorrow game two will be on Thursday 
Game uh, two of the Padres-Phillies is on Friday. Saturday, we've got Ole Miss at LSU for college football. Saturday, Padres-Phillies. Sunday, Padres-Phillies. And then Sunday night will be uh, the Astros and whoever, again, Yankees or Guardians, whoever wins that. So between now and Sunday, we've got a we've literally have games and events going on every single day and night here on ESPN 106.7. So we call ourselves the Auburn Opelika Sports Leader, and we mean it. But we've got Trey Wallace, who covers the SEC for OutKick joining us here on the Tuesday edition of On the Line. Trey, it's good to hear from you, man. How uh, how was your experience in Knoxville this weekend? It was uh, uh, absolutely bonkers. I got tackled accidentally twice from fans. Wow. Um, well, are and, you are you okay? Uh, first of all, oh, I'm good. No, it's all about <laughs> well, hey. hey. I'm good, man. Look, you, we don't get the opportunity to cover games like that many times in our careers. And to be able to cover a game like that, the back and forth, the pageantry of college football, uh, the, the, the fans storming the field, man, I'll, I'll take getting ran over by a grandmother any day of the week. <laughs> what did you see out of, out of Hendon Hooker in Tennessee and then also Bryce Young in his first game back from injury. What did you see out of those two those two quarterbacks battling it out on Saturday? Man, I, I saw it. I saw first off, I saw a healthy Bryce Young. He looked healthy to me. Um, I, I saw a guy that, that has been dealing with some stuff over the over the last week and a half, and he came out. And he played. I thought he played really good football against Tennessee. Um, on the other hand, Hendon Hooker, I saw a kid. A young man, 24-year-old, that is a poised quarterback that knows this offense, that can sling it, and he does not get rattled. And I think, I think overall, that's what stands out to me. Guys, there was five minutes left in the game. Uh, there's a fumble between Hendon Hooker and the running back. Alabama picks it up. Runs it to the end zone for a touchdown. And I'm being, I'm being very honest with you guys. I was like, okay. That's probably going to do it. Alabama's got some momentum here. That that might deflate Tennessee a little bit. Well, what does Hendon Hooker do? He comes back in and drives Tennessee 75 yards in about two minutes, and Tennessee ties it up. So the kid showed me he's got ice water in his veins. Um, he's a really good quarterback. He deserves to be in the running for the Heisman Trophy. And as long as he's healthy, as long as he's standing upright, getting down the field, I think he can do really good things over this last month and a half of the two months of the season for for Tennessee. And Trey, how big was it for Tennessee to win this football game, not just for Tennessee, but for the SEC to see that it's not just Alabama and Georgia in this conference. There's another program that is threatening to win the conference and maybe make some noise in a college football playoff down the road. I'm going to give you a Rocky reference, okay? So this is how it's gone for Tennessee over the past 16 years. Uh, you know, when Rocky, in Rocky IV, he, he, he's fighting Drago in Russia, and he cuts him. And when he gets to the corner, Rocky's trainer says, he's bleeding, you cut him, he's not a machine, he's a man. That's exactly what Saturday night was for Tennessee. After the pounding and pounding and pounding that they have been taking from Alabama over the last 15 years, they finally punched back, they saw blood, and they finished them. 
I think overall that is that is great for the Tennessee football program. I'm not going to come on here and act like Tennessee football is great for college football and everybody should love them from the Northwest to the Northeast to the, you know, to the West coast. I'm not going to be that guy. There's other people in Knoxville that love to do that, to draw themselves attention. But to me, I think it says something about all the stuff that Tennessee has been through in the last six years you know, the Shiano stuff, and then you've got Jeremy Pruitt who comes to Knoxville and just completely screws everything up by thinking that he can do things the Saban way, and, and that even means paying players uh, over the table in stupid ways and not knowing how to do it in the Southeastern Conference. Tennessee fans have been through a lot. You know, it, 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 and I know you guys are on the plains and Auburn has been through stretches, but this fan base, for and here's the best way to put it too. You got a fan base man that still shows up during horrible years, and there's eighty five thousand people in the stands, and an occasional sellout. But eighty five thousand people that fills up a lot of stadiums around the country. Uh, Tennessee sold out the Akron game. Tennessee has sold out the UT Martin game this weekend. You know, this is just good for the overall sense of of college football. Not like, you know, business-wise and all that sense, but you got a new team in the fold for a little bit. It's kind of juicy. It's kind of fun to watch, you know? And I think that that's what Tennessee's story is right now. Um, just how they came on in baseball out of nowhere under Tony Vitello, I think you're seeing them come on in football under Josh Seifel a little bit quicker than the experts, including myself, would have thought 18 games ago, and, and I just think overall it's it's just fun to watch. Trey, what are the chances now with the way that this looks like it could play out with a one-loss Alabama, a one-loss Georgia, and potentially a one-loss Tennessee? Could we see three teams in the playoff out of the SEC? Talk about Armageddon around the country uh, if that happens. Um, I mean, <laughs> I mean, the, 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 the perfect answer is, yeah, I mean, it could happen. Um, I think somebody's going to get left out if that's the case. Um, I think that the, the thing Georgia has going for them is Oregon has been playing a little bit better lately. Uh, Pittsburgh is not playing better lately, really. And that's Tennessee's out-of-conference win. Um, you know, I, I look at it overall, and I think, you know, this next month, is going to be wild because, you know, Tennessee has to host Kentucky and Kentucky can be a trap game. You know, I don't think Kentucky lived up to any type of expectations that were set forth for them before the season. Georgia in Athens in three weeks will probably be the biggest game in, in college football, maybe this season. And I hate to keep saying that because it was such a big game between Tennessee, Alabama, but for those, those were like for different reasons as well. Like the Tennessee-Georgia matchup, that could potentially be a number three team in the country playing a number two or a number one team. Like, that's just massive. Um, and then you look at Alabama's schedule as well and who they have remaining on it. You know, old Lane Kiffin. You know, you know Lane Kiffin's dying to get that win over Saban, uh, you know, uh, and, and ruined his season. So there's, you know, and we – the crazy part about it is we still got teams fighting in the West. And, you know, so – for what I thought would be a Georgia cakewalk this season, 
in the East has turned into a two-team battle with Tennessee. And in the West, I don't know, guys, three-team chance here. I mean, LSU, Ole Miss, Alabama. I mean, it's just getting interesting, guys, as we get down to the final month and a half, two months of the season. We've got Trey Wallace joining us, who covers the SEC for OutKick here on On the Line. Trey, let's get into this Auburn program a little bit as they limp into the bye week after putting up one of the best offensive performances of the season, but it was the defense that fell through against Ole Miss. Just your uh, your diagnosis, if you will, of what Auburn looks like and what is to come of Auburn uh, before and after this bye week. A team that showed fight, that showed that they are still willing to go to battle for their head coach, um, but a team that is still so shorthanded at certain positions they're not going to be able to keep up. Um, when Tank Midsby broke off that run, I think it was third quarter, um, and got it within four points, and I was like, whoa, wait a minute. Okay, this Auburn team's this is, I got some fight in them. Got a little dog left in them. Okay, let's see what happens here. Um, but we saw the defense kind of fell apart. You know, I, I got a column coming out tomorrow, and I'll spoil it a little bit for you guys down there. Um, you know, Brian Harson said last night uh, at the Birmingham Quarterback Club, at the Mobile Quarterback Club, you know, that, that, that you know, paraphrasing, but his, his team and his coach staff knows that they're close. <laughs> and it's like, the title of my article is, how long can you keep dangling the carrot in front of Brian Harson? <laughs> Because it's getting old, guys, to be honest with you. It really is. And President Christopher Roberts, look, he wants to – he would love to have a permanent AD in place when he makes this decision. But I'm just – I'm sorry. He's not going to have time. Because if you didn't make a decision to go ahead and and fire him yesterday or Sunday – yeah, get my days mixed up – Sunday, then you're you're kind of sticking with him. You're not going to fire him on a Thursday or a Friday of this week, right? So you decided you've decided now to stick with him until maybe the next embarrassing loss. But my biggest problem is with all of this is that we're coming up on an early signing period. We're coming up on a November transfer portal window period mm-hmm. very soon, next month and a half. We're starting to see this, and if you know Brian Harson is not going to be your head coach, because if we're being very transparent and clear here. I don't know how in the world Brian Harson returns to Auburn next season and can put up a legitimate program after the stuff that he's been through over the last 10 months. Mm-hmm. Everybody on the recruiting trail is using this against him, and it's working. So how do you recruit to Auburn? What are you going to do? You're not going to offer him a contract extension. That'd be stupid. So what do you do? You're going to come out and give him a vote of confidence? Okay, well, that vote of confidence didn't really work in the offseason after you did an inquiry into him, and then his family was drug into all this mess. So the biggest thing, and put your big boy pants on Auburn to do now is let him go. Pay him the money that he's owed. I know that he has owed half of $15.3 million within the first 60 days that he is fired. Pay him. Stop being cheap. Stop dragging your players along. Stop dragging recruits along. You know, these coaches need to find different spots for next year. You know he's not coming back. So why are you sitting around here and waiting? That's the big thing to me. You're dangling a carrot in front of Brian Harson when the man is having to answer questions every week. Hey, man, what do you feel about the job status? What do you feel about the online reports? I mean, what do you expect? 
What did they expect him to say? Well, yeah, I read them all. I know it. I'm nervous. My anxiety's through the roof. My wife is going crazy over this stuff, and my daughter's being put through hell. It, well, it just it, it's it's become stupid to this point now for the Auburn administrators. And look, I, I think those are, are great points, and I promise you do not have to tell us how tiring it is to sit here and, and watch this and, and question what is happening here at Auburn. We've got Trey Wallace joining us here on On the Line. He covers the SEC for OutKick. We've got a couple of minutes left before uh, we got to get out of here. So looking at some of the games coming up this weekend, uh, maybe not as sexy as it was this past weekend, but Ole Miss goes on the road, takes their top 10 team, an undefeated program on the road to LSU. You've got Alabama looking to bounce back against Mississippi State, Texas A&M, South Carolina, a game that could be a little weird. What are you looking at this weekend around the SEC? Man, I'm, I'm intrigued in the South Carolina-Texas A&M game. Um, let's see what kind of momentum South Carolina can have coming off a of bye week uh, after that win at Kentucky. Um, that could make it interesting on offense, you know, with Haynes King, at quarterback for Texas A&M. Um, so that should be a fun game Saturday night. Um, I'm not looking forward to the Mississippi State-Alabama game. After seeing Mississippi State just look like absolute garbage last weekend uh, against Kentucky, um, that's not a game I'm looking forward to because I think Alabama takes out some frustration on the Bulldogs. Um, uh, so that one doesn't pique me uh, at all. The Ole Miss-LSU game, I think that's where it's at. Lane Kiffin heading into Death Valley. Uh, I, I experienced it already three weeks ago. It's kind of a tame crowd, 11 o'clock, whatever. But that game is so big now because, guys, there's implications for the SEC West. That's what makes it so big. So that game, to me, is is the one that I'm paying attention to. Um, I I think LSU, this, uh, it's only Tuesday, so whatever. But I've done really good at my predictions on y'all's show this year. So I'm going to go ahead and let you guys know now that I think LSU beats Ole Miss on Saturday. As do um, both of us, I, I, I think. Yep. yep, by a touchdown or a field goal. I think they win it in the fourth quarter. Um, but I think it's a fun football game. Um, and, and, and we'll see. And, and, it, and, and then things get interesting when it comes to the Western Division now. Um, and uh, we get some matchups that start creeping up. So it's, it should be a fun weekend. And if you're really dying – I'm talking like dying for SEC content, and you want to watch something, just turn on the Vanderbilt-Missouri game, I guess, <laughs> you can stand it. Look, I, that may be like a last resort type of game to throw on if you're asking me to put on Vanderbilt and Missouri. Uh, but, hey, man, desperate times call for desperate measures here in Auburn, Alabama. Trey Wallace, who covers the SEC for OutKick, are you going on the road anywhere this week? I think we're about to make a decision here in a little bit. Um, I saw Alabama last week. I might be seeing them again this week against Mississippi State. We'll see. Uh, if not, I might make the two-hour, two-and-a-half-hour trip over to Columbia and, uh, and watch old Jimbo Fisher play Shane Beaver. So we'll find out here tonight. Well, hey, man, wherever you go, have safe travels, and uh, you do great work. Let everybody know where they can keep up with all that work since you are such a busy man. Thank you so much, guys. You can follow me at outkick.com. Uh, follow all my work. Follow me on social media, Twitter, at Trey Wallace underscore. Same for Instagram. Um, just out, hey, man, out here living the dream, covering college football, just like you guys are doing. And uh, 
We'll see if they come up with a solution on the planes anytime soon. We sure hope so, man. We will talk to you next week. That is Trey Wallace, who covers the SEC for OutKick, joining us here on On the Line. We really enjoy having him on. And, uh, he again, he does fantastic work. He covers the SEC for OutKick. Go and find all of his great work. Uh, he travels around the SEC covering games, again, for OutKick. we got to get to our final break. We'll come back and wrap up the Tuesday edition of On the Line. You are on the line on ESPN 1067, online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. Wrapping up the Tuesday edition of On the Line, Jacob Goins, Carter Bird with you for the next few minutes here on ESPN 1067. Of course, stay tuned. It'll be The Drive with Bill Cameron and Dan Peck right here on ESPN 1067 from 4 to 6. They'll have all of your uh, same same type of coverage, talking about Auburn around the SEC, talking a little baseball, all that good stuff. So make sure you stay tuned. Again, The Drive with Bill Cameron and Dan Peck right after us. Big thank you to Trey Wallace, who, again, he covers the SEC for outkick uh, he joins us every tuesday afternoon here on on the line we really appreciate him coming on and uh, giving us some of his time to talk about auburn talk about the sec uh, he had some very very uh passionate things to say about auburn and what's <laughs> happening here on the plains right so. now so uh, it's good to hear it from an outsource as, as judge goes deep oh right. my gosh yep yankees up four nothing on the on the guardians in the second inning oh my goodness man well look we have people saying that the Yankees were going to win by 15, 20 runs. So they're on, they are well on their way as the Yankees are it's up four nothing. Second inning. Yes, that's what? what I'm saying. They've been playing this game for almost an hour, and they're in the second inning. It's crazy. This is not great. This no. is not great if yeah. you're a Guardians fan. Yankees on top, four nothing. Bottom of the second. Stanton hit a three run bomb, and then Judge just went solo to right field. So not looking good for the Guardians. And remember, the winner of this game plays the Astros in the American League Championship Series, which we will. Have have uh the games of that let's see we have game one game two we have game at least game one two and three here on espn 1067 this week and weekend so keep that in mind uh we've got baseball tonight tomorrow thursday friday college football saturday baseball saturday night and two baseball games on sunday so it's very, very busy uh, here on ESPN 106.7. Also, uh, high school football, just to kind of get you thinking about that on Friday night, Auburn High is at Prattville. Uh, that is on Wings 94.3. Broadcast time, 6.30 kickoff at 7 over on Wings 94.3, the home of the Auburn High School Sports Network. And then on AU 100, that's 100.3, it's Lee Scott Academy, that is Carter and I's gig. We do uh, the Lee Scott Sports Network. I do play-by-play. Carter does color commentary. We have Fort Dale Academy at home this weekend. After Lee Scott won last week, they secured the number one seed in the playoffs. They have won. Region champs. That's right. They are region champs, baby, as they have two more games in the regular season. Then they will have a first-round bye in the three-round AISA playoffs. Then they will host the semifinals, and then hopefully they win that game and they will go on to the championship game in Montgomery. So that will be on AU 100. That's 100.3. Again, that is Friday night, 630 kickoff at 7, along with Auburn High School on Wings 94.3, the home of the Auburn High Sports Network. But I think one thing we've learned throughout our conversations today is this feels like the SEC right now in college football it is still anybody's game. I think there are three legitimate teams in the SEC that could win a national championship as of right now. 
I think there's about three or four teams behind them that can make some noise in the SEC. Maybe not win the SEC or make a college football playoff, but can at least make it interesting in the next four to five weeks. And with the games on the schedule coming up over the next month, we're going to find out who is for real in the SEC. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's good. everything's going to get turned up in the conference in terms of there's going to be more consistent challenges here over the back half of everybody's schedule, and it's going to be fascinating to see how some teams handle it and I think I think Tennessee's there I think Alabama's still there I think Georgia's still there they need to show me something but then teams like Mississippi State Kentucky Ole Miss LSU can, LSU could make some noise down the stretch I mean A&M if they want to continue to play a little bit better again they can make some noise down the stretch too I mean, and make things they interesting so lose at South Carolina this weekend they very and well then could. we're sitting there talking about an A&M team that could be 6-6. Six and six. And College Station would lose its mind if that happened. Again, the SEC, it's wide open, and inconsistency is what's got me just really thinking about the SEC and wondering who's legit and who's not. That's it for the Tuesday edition of On the Line. We'll be back tomorrow. Stay safe. I'll talk to you later.